Welcome to the Socrates Podcast, an intellectual discussion and analysis of the world's most popular sport. On today's episode, we'll recap the Champions League semifinal first leg matchups between Real Madrid and Manchester City, as well as Inter Milan versus AC Milan as well as look ahead to some really intriguing matchups this weekend in the Premier League. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Socrates Podcast, an intellectual discussion and analysis of the world's most popular sport. I'm your host, Jake Marchesani, and on today's episode, we're going to recap the first two legs of the Champions League semifinals, really, really mouth-watering fixtures. We have kind of a rematch from last season, Manchester City versus Real Madrid. And then, of course, the Milan Derby, the Derby della Madonnina, uh, which was a really uh, Italian affair, if we will say so ourselves. So this was really, um, you know, some really good matchups. I mean, Going into the season, or even as the Champions League was going on, it really didn't seem like AC Milan or Inter Milan were really front runners. Um, but they both, you know, I felt like they had favorable draws. I was surprised, actually, that AC Milan beat Napoli. They were one of my favorites to get to the final. Of course, Napoli won the Italian Serie A this past weekend. And uh, that was an exciting, exciting weekend for them. First time they've won it since Maradona played for them back in 1987, I believe, was the last time they won it. So, of course, they were super excited and well-deserved. They played a great season this this year. I, I was hoping they would also make a great Champions League run into the semifinals or even the final. I wanted to see a Napoli-Man City Final. I thought that would have been a really, really intriguing matchup. However, uh, it is the two Milan teams that were playing in the semifinals. But first, let's talk about the Manchester City Real Madrid game. You know, going into this game, obviously there was a lot of drama last season between these two teams. Real Madrid won it in uh, extra time in the second leg, but they came back. To score two goals in the in the final few minutes of the 90, forcing extra time, and Karim Benzema scored. I think it was a penalty to win the game and win the the leg and move on to the final. So this is a really great rematch, and it lived up to the hype. This was a heavyweight battle, and you have Manchester City coming into the game. You know, they kind of went with their 3-2-5 is, is kind of how I'm phrasing it, where they have the three center backs, but then you have Rodri and John Stones kind of playing in the two holding midfield spots. Obviously, Stones kind of will drop back a little bit into a center back slot if needed, um, but a definitely in possession, they are <clears throat> kind of going with that 3-2-5. And then kind of the, it's just kind of a front five. I mean, you could call it a 3-2-5. 4-1 if you put Holland up there all by himself and the other four players who are kind of, you know, the, the wingers and then the two center mids. I just kind of look at it as a 3-2-5. You have a lot of players moving around, interchanging. 
And uh, and so they they did. I, I I did not think they would play the same way they played against Arsenal. This is a little bit more, I think, conservative from Pep. Uh, a little bit more of how they've been playing, so more familiar to everybody, and and really a good solid lineup. Versus Real Madrid with kind of sticking with the the traditional four three three, very defined. You know, Pep Guardiola has a a way of kind of the, the the shape looks a little undefined at times. He gives his you know some players some freedom to to move into spaces where they want. So at times it just looks you know kind of like what what's the formation? <laughs> um, but there's actually a lot of structure built into it. Whereas Manchester or sorry, whereas Real Madrid, it's like yes, I see the four three three. It's very obvious. Um, you have the four. The four backs, two center backs, two full backs. You have Cruz, Valverde, and Modric playing in the three center midfield slots. Cruz more of the defensive center mid. Modric and Valverde a little bit more up and down, playing higher up the pitch at most of the time. Then you have Benzema, center forward, Rodrigo, and Vinicius Jr. Uh, as the wingers. So that is very much set up, um, you know, to to see that and. You know, going in, you you definitely look at Manchester City having a little bit more of the possession, Madrid finding a a, um, kind of a line of where they want to start their press, defending well, and being really dangerous on the counterattack. They are more dangerous on the counterattack than Arsenal. So looking at this game, I figured, you know, I didn't expect Real Madrid to press as high as Arsenal did, but sure enough, they were pressing fairly high from the from the get-go. And I think that they are successful with it because of Luka Modric. The way he helps organize the press from that midfield role, the the the, the front line is pressing and he finds the the gaps, whether he needs to cut off passing lanes or run with a man. He is really integral to the pressing of Madrid. And man, for like I think he's 38 years old. The energy, the running he does is incredible. I, I, I think, you know, he impacts games in so many ways, not just, you know, <clears throat> uh, on the offensive end, but he's always in the right place. He just finds ways to be in the right place at the right time. He controls the match, even if he's not um, touching the ball a lot. He has a lot of influence on every game that he plays, and it's phenomenal to watch. Um, but, man, first 30 minutes – Madrid were very organized and they were, you know, pressing uh, man to man at times. And uh, they put a lot of faith in Rudiger on Holland. And I thought, I thought Rudiger did a great job on Holland, really kind of nullified Erling Holland. He didn't really do much this game. So they're going to need that again in the second leg back at Man City. Um, but City, of course, were pressing as well. And, uh, and that's where Madrid got their first goal, a simple one-two to beat the press. Now, this is where I think Pep is going to be kind of kicking himself a little bit. Um, this is where the two teams, kind of the, the chess match kind of happened because Madrid are really good at using the full width and length of the pitch. They will use the whole thing. So if you look at this goal, it started off back in Madrid's own box, and, and so their, their, their defenders were there, 
but their forwards were, were, were as high as they could be. So what that did was created a lot of space in the middle of the field. If you look at right before the goal, there was nobody in the center of the pitch. Modric came back and checked back hard, was able to do a one-two with Kamavinga and off to the races. And that really is how you can beat a press, is if you can spread it and do you know a one-two or a, a quick combination of maybe you know a short short and then a little bit of a longer pass but it's a quick one and two touch passing sequence that can get you out of a press and that's exactly what Madrid did it was perfect and then Camavinga who this kid is phenomenal i think he's 20 20 years old maybe um he's he's really a center mid but he's actually had to play left back a lot of the season but what you get with that is a player who can step into the midfield and, and and be a creator and dictate the ball. So he steps in, dribbles the ball, plays a perfectly weighted pass to Vinicius Jr., who has a superb finish. And there you go, Real Madrid up 1-0. And uh, I was very impressed with the first half from Real Madrid. You could tell they stuck to their game plan. They were up for it. They were meeting Man City actually higher on the pitch than I thought they would, and they press man to man, and that's it. Again, it's a little risky. That's how Man City oftentimes press, especially against Arsenal. Arsenal were not willing to press man to man. They always wanted to have a safety net, and that led to actually Kevin De Bruyne doing whatever he wanted in that game. And this game, you saw Madrid finding each man pressing and willing to take the risk of any potential 1v1 situation and then rarely materialized now second half you know city you know they're going to respond you know they're going to you know be working hard and their goal kind of came a little bit against the run of play Kamavinga, unfortunately who we just i just sang his praises but he did turn the ball over rodri won the ball two couple passes, and then the ball gets laid back off to Kevin De Bruyne, and wow, what a finish. Both goals in this game were world-class. This was a game of, like, heavyweights. Both of these teams were up for the occasion. They know what's on the line. They're both incredibly talented, and it was a really enjoyable game of football. And it's one of those things where you feel like, man, it might come down to a mistake. It might not, but it might come down to that. And you hate to be the one who makes a mistake. But at the end of the day, we got a second leg in Manchester City. You, <clears throat> you know that Real Madrid are not scared to go there. So they're going to be up for it. They know how to win the Champions League. Man City have been trying to win the Champions League for years and years and years now. And... Um, I think this second leg is going to be phenomenal. And um, everybody's going to need to be up for it. But this was a really interesting kind of chess match. And uh, and it ended in a stalemate, 1-1. And I think that was fair. I thought Madrid, w- I think Madrid will be a little bit more upset because they did have a few better opportunities. And they had the chance to possibly win it at home. You always want to win it at home. So I think they would feel like they let a little bit go. But of course, uh, they didn't lose everything to play for in the second leg. 
And now we turn our attention to Milan, and we'll be there for both legs of this other semifinal uh, between Inter Milan and AC Milan. And if you didn't already know, both teams share the same stadium, the San Siro, which is kind of one of those, you know, temples of football. You know, that, that this is an amazing stadium, so much history. And it's really interesting that these teams share it. And, you know, sometimes you, you'd find like teams share a stadium. One team is just, you know, is hugely successful. And then the, the other team's a little bit of a smaller team. And they're just happy to share the stadium or something like that. But, or it's temporary, you know, teams don't share stadiums for that long. But they've shared this stadium for years and years and years. And, um, it's really, really interesting. I think it does add to the rivalry, right? And um, in the Champions League, you know, um, it, it's interesting because Inter Milan have won, AC Milan, both teams have won the Champions League. In, uh, AC Milan have won more. Um, but you know, this season, this is this was the this is going to be the fourth and fifth times that these teams play each other, and uh, so far. Uh, Inter Milan now has won three games and AC Milan has won one. So technically, AC Milan was the home team in this matchup. So they had the majority of the fans. And Inter Milan come in playing with a 3-5-2 against AC Milan 4-2-3-1. And uh, it's interesting when you interchange, you know, with these teams... Inter Milan is called Inter, and AC Milan is called Milan. Um, so that's an interesting dynamic. So you know who you're talking about when you mention it. Um, but I felt like Inter had a great game plan. You know, they really blitzed Milan from the get-go. So their 3-5-2 was up high. They were pressing. You would, you know, going into the game, you would think that, you know, um, AC Milan would be more of the possession-oriented team, whereas Inter Milan are more of the counter-attacking uh, team. Uh, and that kind of tells you with the, the formation that they set up. A 3-5-2 is typically going to be a little bit more of a counter-attacking team, a little bit more defensive. And by the way, this game was very much Italian. It just felt Italian. If you don't know what that means... Um, when you think of Italian football, you think of very like pragmatic, um, uh, defensive oriented, like not a lot of flash, not as much possession, although the game as a whole is definitely more possession oriented. But um, Italians have always been known for, you know, sometimes three defenders or five defenders if you look at a 3-5-2, and they're going to be you know, staunch defensively. They're going to look at some long balls over the top, counter-attacking, and, uh, and they're very frustrating to play against. And that was kind of the vibe going on. You know, you, you could tell this was an Italian football match, um, but in the 21st century. Uh, and uh, I was impressed with Inter and their game plan and their strategy. You know, um, they wanted to take the game to Milan, and they did that. High pressing, their midfield three were all over the place. You had Henrik Mkhitaryan, who uh, had a a phenomenal game, got a goal as well. Um, They really dictated the game, 
and they dictated it from a defensive standpoint, right? Where they were pressing, they were all over the pitch, they were winning balls, they were not letting AC Milan get into a, a, a rhythm. And it was hard to really see what Milan were trying to do. Yeah, uh, Inter did a phenomenal job in the first half of nullifying any uh, AC Milan attack, nullifying any type of buildup. It was um, it was really impressive. It was you know a little bit smash and grab. You know they were winning balls, they were knocking it long to their two forwards, asking them to do you know to cause some havoc, and uh, and they did, and they could have had chances to go up three nil. So they went up two nil in the first twenty minutes. And you're thinking at this point, um, two early goals is very interesting because you still have 70 minutes left in the game, right? But the game is already feeling so one-sided. But one goal for AC Milan, and it's back to 2-1, and it completely changes everything. But another goal for Inter Milan, now you're 3-0 up. That is... You know, you can you're thinking one step into the one foot into the into the final at that point. Um, there was a penalty that got called, but then VAR reversed it. I think that was the right call. So uh, Inter Milan almost had a chance for a penalty to go up three nil. They didn't get that, so that was really interesting. But AC Milan second half they they got a little bit more of a foothold in the match. They were it was really interesting to see in the second half you had. You know, AC Milan control the possession, and you felt like they were starting to get into their rhythm a little bit. And uh, then, then you know, Inter Milan kind of came back on the front foot and got going with their game a little bit more. And it was it was actually a little bit more back and forth in the second half, whereas the first half was very much one sided. AC Milan really missed their key player, Rafael Leal, who's had a great season. I think he would have been, he is kind of a difference maker type of player. So it would have been really cool to see if he could have gotten into the game. But he may be able to come back from injury next week. Um, All is not lost, but I really felt like Inter Milan had a great strategy because now they're going to be the home team and they're going to have a majority of the fans for this second leg. And I anticipate a little bit more of a sitting back approach from Inter Milan. That's what I anticipate. Just because they have a two nil lead, that's a very that is a very Italian way to play. Is you get a lead and you just lock down defensively. And I could see them kind of you know sitting back a little bit more, kind of trying to just snuff out the game. But if AC Milan get a goal, it's going to flip everything on its head. So both ties are not over yet. And I think any matchup you swing it, right? Like let's say let's say Manchester City play Inter Milan. I think that would be really intriguing. I feel like Inter Milan is set up to play a tough game against a team like Man City. Um you know, Inter Milan definitely looked like the better team, no doubt. So I, I anticipate them going through. Um, but if they play Real Madrid or or whoever, I mean, it's setting up to be a really intriguing final. I do think the edge goes to whoever wins the Madrid City matchup. And uh, but those games will happen next week, and we'll know who's going to be in the final uh, in a few weeks' time. Both Champions League uh, games. This coming week will be phenomenal. I always feel like the second leg of the semifinals 
are usually the best games because at that point, everything is on the line. You're playing for the chance to be in the final, and if it's close, it can be lights out, fireworks, definitely. So good games. I'm excited for the second round, uh, the second legs, to see who qualifies for the Champions League final. Um, Teams, all teams with great history. Let's see what happens. Hard to go an episode of the Socrates podcast without talking about the Premier League. And so I want to do a quick look ahead to the Premier League action this weekend because I do think there's some really intriguing matchups, some really important games for top four, for relegation. Um, so this is a, a going to be a defining weekend, I think, and we'll start to see, you know, some teams maybe get safe from relegation, maybe not. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. I think it presents um, some great matchups. And again, this is why I love the Premier League so much, because this late in the season, if you're looking at American sports and you have bottom teams that are eliminated from the playoffs playing top teams, you just don't get as many competitive matchups. But when we look at this weekend, we kick it off with Leeds versus Newcastle. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to this first game. It's 5.30 p.m. Mount, 5.30 a.m. Mountain Time. So you do have to get up early for this one. Leeds need the win. And I do feel that they will draw some, um, some positives from their last game against Manchester City um, and try to get a win here. They need the win at Newcastle. And Newcastle want the win. They are not secured yet for top four and this will go a long way in getting them there but uh, Leeds need it so uh, you know as as far as this matchup goes I I do see Leeds setting up defensively Um, you know they're going to probably concede a majority of the possession but they're going to look to counter they're going to look to do kind of what they did against Man City but not give up the goals early on. I can see I can see Leeds really trying to like Sam Allardyce trying to get to halftime at nil-nil and go for a one-nil win in the second half. I, I feel like that is gonna be the strategy. And um and so you know will Newcastle you know be resistant to that or are Leeds gonna be stubborn enough to pull it off? We'll see, but it's a good way to kick it off. Then you have Aston Villa versus Spurs, kind of the fight for sixth. As much as I want Brighton to be up there, they still have some really tough games to go. They still got to play a bunch of the top teams. I don't know if they'll make it into sixth place. And sixth place is looking like you know Europa League, uh, potentially, um, and then seventh place Conference League. So um, I... I would love to see Villa get into the Europa League. I think that would be pretty in- insane. Um, I don't really have much sympathy for Spurs, and so I don't mind seeing them drop um, drop out of Europe at all, to be honest. Uh, Forest versus Chelsea. This is interesting as well. Chelsea are just like I don't know, man. They're so they're they're so confusing, of course. And I gotta think Forest are probably thinking they could go win this one. And they need the win as well. They're battling in that relegation zone. 
Manchester United versus Wolves. Wolves are a tough team, and um, but this is also a must-win for United to stave off Liverpool in the top four challenge. You know, this has been such a great season for Manchester United in so many respects, exceeding a lot of expectations. Um, but it would it would definitely feel like a little bit of a failure of a season if they don't secure Champions League at this point because they've been top four for a long time. They you know they won the you know the um, the League Cup. They beat Barcelona back in February as well in the in in the Europa League, and they looked to have some awesome momentum. They've sputtered a little bit. They've played a ton of games. So I do think it is catching up to them. They just got to get across the finish line. And honestly, I don't really care how they do it over the next four games. They just got to get enough points. They just got to hold off Liverpool. If it's ugly, I'm okay with that because they'll have the summer to regroup. They'll be in Champions League. They will have an opportunity to build on what they've done this season. So this is a must win for Manchester United. And then Everton versus City. Wow, this is intriguing to me because Everton are desperate for another result. They got an incredible result against Brighton, 5-1 to one earlier this week. Um, that was crazy. I did not see that coming. And uh, they, they're, But they're not out of the weeds yet. And, um, you know, will City be resting some players with the Champions League coming up? Maybe. But they also... You know, they, they can't stutter either because Arsenal are still right on their heels. So this and Everton need the win, and they find a way to get some results sometimes. So this game really intrigues me. And then you got Arsenal versus Brighton. Again, that's going to be a really fantastic game. Leicester versus Liverpool. There's a lot of bottom teams playing top teams. And, uh, and, and that's where we're going to see some, I think, some fireworks. And I think we'll see some upsets. Um, so that's where I'm looking at Everton. I give Everton a fighting chance to get a result against City. I, I give Leeds a fighting chance as well um, to get a result against Newcastle. But there's some really good games coming up this weekend as we get closer to the finale of what's been a really great Premier League season. So this is just a, a, a quick view at what's coming ahead. It's exciting. Great games this weekend. And then we look at the second leg of Champions League next week. There's going to be it's going to be a great finish to this season. Uh, we'll be we'll be covering it all the way to the end. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. And uh, go enjoy some good games this weekend. Uh, and always, always remember, know thy soccer. We'll see you next time. listening to the Socrates podcast. Special thanks to Grid Lab for providing the music and the artwork. Socrates podcast is a production of Ball Watchers FC. Mm-hmm.